and welcome to another episode of Airy Muse. I'm the host, Sarah Crowley. Millie Starbeam, Chapter One. Her office had no windows. The wood walls were elegant but spare. The marble floor was gray with swirls of white, reminding one of a storm. The fireplace, made of obsidian with silver flecks, reminded one of night and stars. A Turkish rug lay near, reminding one of a Turkish rug. There were photos, paintings, a Pegasus sculpture. Fastened to the wall, a computer map disguised as a mirror. In the back, near the bathroom, she had a closet full of weapons. She and Healy tried to be as non-violent as possible, but sometimes they had no choice. In another closet, she kept disguises, wigs, face putty, hats. Despite the lack of windows, it wasn't a sad room. Picture a modern art museum mixed with a meditation room, blended with the trappings of a spy. A spiral staircase connected the office to the ground floor. There was a fireman's pole adding a zaniness. It came with the house. She had an elevator, which came with the house, too, which she was the first to admit was impractical, silly. Still, she enjoyed using it. May as well. Of course, most who had any reason to sit in Millie's office knew she was a detective. So it is wrong to say the room was top secret. It wasn't. The rest of her house had windows and the atmosphere was a conflation of urban edgy, Arthurian, rustic, what one would expect from a fairy, a fairy who had once been human. She sometimes wondered why she'd been given such luxury. The council said it was arbitrary, but her life had never seemed random. Still, it amused her, the perks, a townhouse in New York. Well, Millie would have felt at home living in a tent. In truth, the subject of fate aside, her demographic had been random. The recruits were placed in all sorts of homes, some blatantly bad, prisons, homeless shelters, war, The council said recruits were geographically placed where beauty and love were needed. That is why cities often had more than one recruit. That's why some recruits were rich. Healy looked like the caricature of an English butler, but wasn't English or a butler. As he stood across from Millie, waiting for the elevator, paternally he gazed. She was considerably younger than he, but he would never dare to condescend. And besides being his boss, she was smart, charming, disarming, his friend. She sat at her desk, smiling while reading a card. The card spoke of thanks, a job well done. At first glance, the gifted flowers seemed terrestrial, like lilacs. But the perfume was odd, not of this world. By human standards, Millie appeared to be in her late 20s. In truth, she was 107, and Healy was mid-age, so triple that. But despite his advanced years, he was healthy, fit, and strong. Millie knew he was an asset to every case. You see, he had a gentleman's veneer, and was mostly, except when he wasn't. It was an occupational hazard and necessity to sometimes be rough. 
Also, he was adept at walking through walls, flying, and hand-to-hand combat. He had two daughters who were in college. On the planet of Avalon, college is called Dreamscape, which tells you a bit about how that world views education, learning, and life in general. Healy had been a boxer in youth, and one could just tell. He was handsome, had silver hair, and sometimes his eyes seemed gold. On earth, folks presumed his provenance was India. It wasn't. The racism prevalent on earth is not unheard of in Avalon, by the way, though speciesism might be sometimes more apt a word. It seems many star systems, planets, universes tend to have occupants who like to feel superior, like to put folks in a box. In fact, it's the reason for many a war. Simply said, one group imagines itself best. Most Avalonians were a mix. Millie wasn't. She was pure fairy. Back home before she was humanized, her skin was blue, like the sea. One never knew what the humanizing machine would do. There was a girl who had been in Millie's training pod, had consistently high scores, but when she got to the machine, she was mostly sylph, so had iridescent skin, but she was taurian too, so had horns. The effect was warrior-like, not devilish. Anyway, her horns remained skin sparkled, and so she seemed even more otherworldly. Needless to say, she wasn't allowed to go. It wasn't fair, but recruits had to blend in. Healy continued to watch Millie, and she now appeared to be caught in the web of a dream. Her cat, Cleo, had swerved by her on the desk. The elevator door opened. Healy wasn't as telepathic as Millie, but all Avalonians have some skill. Stop peeking, she blushed. You review that day a lot, Healy could see she was thinking of exit day. I've noticed. It was as though she wanted a different ending, and of course she did. All right, all right, you're good. Didn't sound like praise. Telepathy's fun. I'm learning telekinesis myself. Well, not to brag, noticed I was moving things a week ago. It startled me at first, and then I saw it was fun. Janet's helping. She's the expert. A sprig of lilac flew by as though to punctuate her point. Healy playfully teased her for showing off, comparing such deeds to Pandora's box, etc. Shimmer had told her she would likely notice new skills popping up as she needed them. She had crossed to her bookshelf near the fireplace. She climbed the small ladder, and after perusing the S section on her tiptoe, she climbed down, handed Healy a book. I knew Mike. Careful. Healy prided himself on his secrecy. Hmm, he played dumb. Divulging secrets again? She took off her shoes. Healy grinned. Each day you grow less mysterious. Got to stop, he said half-heartedly, leafing through the book. Schofield, what a tale, mermaids. You know how we have less crime? She was at her laptop. Oh, was Mike a crook? She was typing, yes. Initially, the council had been wary of Millie's switching jobs. It seemed self-indulgent, or at least that's almost exactly what one of the elders said. 
and in truth Milly agreed, yet one wants what one wants. Attempting to acquaint the council with the idea and butter them up, she invited them to earth to her home for tea. The council members all liked sweets and so cake was served. And three days after learning she would be trapped for 50 years, the elders came and none seemed too jazzed about the visit. They didn't often travel to earth, though, and wise and transcendent as they were, they could be a bit stuck in their ways. That day they socialized awkwardly, feigning casualness. Some sat on Millie's couch, one sat at her window seat, the kitchen table sat four. One absolutely refused to sit. A female elder named Pam was ensconced in Millie's wingback chair like she owned the place. The elders are all born looking old. It's simply part of the deal, old and wise, but you mustn't imagine them in robes of white. Oh no, did you? That day, one had been playing anti-gravity tennis when suddenly he remembered the date. One gal wore a green robe, who knows why. I like the word detective. That's no reason to switch, said an elder wearing jeans. Detective? Conscience hunter, Millie explained. That was a similar job, and the one in jeans nodded. A different elder said, It's getting more common at home. Crime wiped his mouth. Millie passed that particular elder more cake as he was signaling he wanted more. That's true, and that trend is sad, but it's nothing compared to Earth. There's lots and lots here, and it's been that way for years. So to understand a detective, they're not exactly like conscience hunters, but that's close. I know some of you enjoy Earth TV. I recommend Perry Mason, Charlie's Angels, James Bond, Hollywood's brainwashing tool, but there's some truth. So, as one rises in dimensional clout, crime and sin are less common. Also, the need to dominate and control is less, and yet duality exists, somewhat. Less extreme, though. But you must realize there are other universes and rules do vary. Now, if you think of frequency as music, highly recommended, one doesn't think of high notes as better than low, though one may prefer high. That said, for the most part, in the last few thousand years, the bad guys in Avalon aren't generally as bad as Earth. You know, analogous to a drunk feeling less vulnerable to addiction while hiking in the woods, yet tempting in a bar. That said, in recent years, there was a slight but steady crime trend. So, in the last 50 years or so, this trend was noted. And 50 years to an Avalonian is no time at all. But regarding Millie and the trapped recruits, to them, 50 was no small thing. Remember now, they were interpreting time differently. They lived on Earth. True, they lived an awful long time in Avalon, but imagine how the thought of 50 years would seem to you. To be honest, during the advent of the whole recruits being trapped thing, the council recruits had no reference. The elders watched with increasing alarm. Sometimes Healy thought he saw a trace of sorrow in Millie's eyes. Once during a stakeout, she said, I feel so betrayed. Avalon? Yes. 
All the natives of Avalon knew of the trapped recruits, and most were sympathetic. The recruits had, in fact, become celebrities of sorts, both feared and revered. The fear was an irrational notion that entrapment on Earth was contagious or something. They had Earth cooties, as it were, but at the same time, Avalonians were fascinated by the group. And if an Avalonian tourist traveled to Earth for business or pleasure, they were offered a travel package called a peak, which is as loathsome as it sounds. Millie or one of the other stuck recruits might be out and about innocently sitting in the park when suddenly, out of nowhere, an Avalonian tourist takes a photo. The tourist was warned not to linger, so though in a way it felt affronting, there was relief in knowing the pain would be short. There were five recruits trapped in New York. Millie's townhouse was a duplex located on the Upper West Side. Her tenants on the other side of the building were Blair and Mark Swift. Blair and Mark were passive-aggressive, and passive-aggression is the motif of cowards. Blair looked just how you'd imagine. Mousy, bobbed hair, wore glasses, liked Kate Spade. Mark was too dull to be called unattractive, but the effect was the same. He was thin, bald, often nervous. He had a habit of rubbing his fingers like he was always smushing something. Mark was a doctor and Blair was not. They were from Missouri. She had been a kindergarten teacher. She was thinking about having a child. She had yet to mention this to Mark, but would sometimes hint in not too subtle ways. To be honest, they seemed misplaced in the city, and in a moment of vulnerability, Blair admitted to Millie she had few friends. This confession made Millie want to invite Blair to lunch, but then Blair kept talking and talking, and Millie decided not to invite her to lunch. Millie knew the couple gossiped about the abundance of characters roving in and out of Millie's house, and they, Healy and Millie, were often dodging the pair. To characterize the Swifts as nosy is putting it mildly, and there were close calls. Once Healy and Millie Crash landed in the Swifts' yard, flying over the Bronx all day. Blair and Mark had been barbecuing. Healy declared he would never forget the expression on Mark's face as he stood quivering, beer in hand. One time, Millie chased a criminal into Blair and Mark's house. Long story, but an interesting one. But humans tend to call anything paranormal weird and relegate oddness to something of which not to speak. The human need to conform, compulsion to be normal, should not be underestimated. It overrides most things. They are afraid. Millie felt sure the Swifts would pretend they saw nothing. You see, like most fairies, Millie enjoyed sleeping outside. Though sleeping out of doors in Manhattan isn't the same as sleeping in a meadow or a forest. When she first came to Earth, she was awfully homesick, would often snooze in her garden or try. And true, it is hard to shock New Yorkers, but though most of her neighbors were unaware, Blair and Mark had a perfect vantage point from their kitchen window. Predictably, they were appalled. Also, an old Irish woman named Mrs. Renshaw, who smoked and had a dog with filthy eyes, lived behind Millie, and she noticed. 
Millie! Her hair was red, her voice like scalding water. Healy grimaced as he flipped through the book Telekinetic War. He thought of Schofield and how he'd always been a gruff old man. Healy and he were professors at the same university, Dreamscape. Schofield was part leprechaun, also part wizard. Some thought he'd also always been part psychopath, but others said, no, no, a total shock. He changed overnight. He killed five mermaids, serial murders, over the course of six months. When Healy had been summoned to work for Millie, he was several months into retirement and fairly bored, to be honest. But recently, a professor of pre-Arthurian history, he had an abundance of different jobs in his life. In any case, at the time, he claimed he was ready to retire, wishing to explore and travel, or so he thought. Also, he'd taken up surfing. His two daughters had been out of the house for a while, but six months in, he was antsy as all heck and as mentioned, and as mentioned, bored, just totally bored. So, one morning, while sipping Avalon's version of coffee, he saw the help wanted ad, but there were risks, especially if he were to go back and forth. He knew. It's one thing to garner an earth work permit and stay a year. It is quite another to go back and forth, forth and back. The only example Avalonians had of this were recruit officers like Shimmer, but they visited Earth just once or twice a month. In general, the council was trying to mostly use those who had a portion of elf blood. It seemed elves could handle the back and forth best. No one knew why. You see, physically speaking, coming to Earth from Avalon is no small thing. Even tourists must sign waivers. Lawsuits don't happen on Avalon, but shaming and shunning sure do. And if you sign something, it means something. One's word is gold. With a team prior to Millie, the council tried to bring one recruit back just shy of his assigned time. Sadly, this didn't go well. Something about resuming Avalonian form after becoming human. Of course, nothing dies, not really, but still it was alarming. Well, trial and error, trial and error. So for the time being, Millie and the other stuck recruits would stay. They had to. As for Healy, he had never become human, never went through the machine. He was monitored a lot saw an Avalonian healer once a week, and everyone hoped for the best. But if he survived more than a year of work, which he more than already had, this would be a breakthrough. And so it was, quite. It was whispered the council had allowed Healy to stay longer as an experiment. At least that's what cynics said. And ironically, it was hypothesized his frequent back and forth was fortifying. Millie took the Schofield book from Healy, placed it on her desk. I'm interested to know more. Millie wore glasses to read and removed them. His crime? Healy was struck into silence. Even by Avalonian standards, her eyes were lovely. His crime? Mermaids? Millie shuddered. Whew, yikes, sounds familiar. 
My parents didn't let me watch the news. Hmm. The elevator door opened. Go. Do you need the car, though? But Millie didn't answer. In fact, it is doubtful Millie heard Healy at all. She was distracted, peering at the wall map. Seeming entranced, enlarging the screen with a wave, Healy watched as she traced 79th Street. Now, no human would guess at her lineage unless they knew her tale. True, her ears were pointy ever so slightly, her eyes otherworldly, but humans are first rate at talking themselves out of just about anything. Healy, on the other hand, may have blended in less. Oh, he looked human, but all that back and forth, sometimes the effect was hard to shake. Sometimes Millie would tell him to stay in the car, wear a hat. I miss flying, she said. You fly? Sure. Healy walked to the map. Close? She shrunk the image, nodding now, then clicking delete. The map was extraordinary. It could illustrate the geography of just about anywhere in the world and in the most nuanced ways. Asia, France, Africa, and not just Earth. A rung of hell, another galaxy, the sun. And now Healy was shocked to see Avalon there. And on the right side of the map, a light flashing. Drat, Healy said. Such language. Remember when we used to travel Cairo, Mongolia? Oh, yes, Rome. Well, we go where the wind blows us. Millie walked to her laptop. Becoming, becoming a fan of Earth, are we? Healy shrugged. People change, shrugging some more. You don't say, Millie smiled slyly. You know, she said, looking at the clock, you should go. All right, but for the record, I have a feeling my shift isn't over. No, she cryptically smiled. She plopped down into her chair. Need the car? She shook her head. Earth to Millie. Must be nice going back. Remember, grass is greener. Yes, but in this case, it's true. She leaned back. No play of light. I will go if you don't mind. He moved to the elevator. Zira's birthday. Why didn't you say? Couldn't cancel the arrest. He grabbed his jacket. True. She opened her eyes. Well, I'm off. Millie rose. She crossed to the map, fanning her hand over the screen. The map became a mirror. How old is Zira? Millie was sweeping her hair into a bun. Healy was hovering near the elevator now. He seemed like a tiger ready to pounce. He was distracted, ready to go. I've lost track. I'm a hundred and some, but what do you say? To humans? Twenty-seven, twenty-eight. Sometimes it's best to tell them I'm older. Humans are biased. Worshipping youth won't take you seriously if you are. It's sad. He had his jacket on, pressing the elevator door, aging so fast. Scary. After work, after his shift, Healy would usually drive to a portal at Riverside Drive. It was one of the least noticeable ones. His routine varied, though, depending. There were 20 portals scattered about the city, 12 in Manhattan, 
Typically, he'd take the Riverside exit. Usually, Millie and he would have to go back to the office, do paperwork, tie up loose ends. Then he would drive off in the company car, a convertible, a fast car, most certainly not of this world. The color was silver? Something like that. Sometimes, Millie would ride with Healy, drive back. End of chapter one.